and the anchor hold. Though the ship It's time now for the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina. Stay tuned as we listen to a message from one of the services at Anchor Baptist Church. Are and I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging sea, but the anchor holds. Thank God, thank God. In spite of the storm First Timothy chapter number six, please, this morning. First Timothy chapter number six. I'm interested in verse number six down through verse number ten. Verse number six says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8 says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This morning I'd like to look at the thought, contentment is great gain. Contentment is great gain. Let's pray together. Father, help us now. We pray for the mind of Christ as we open the Word of God this morning. Lord, we don't take it a light thing. Lord, we don't take it a routine thing. Lord, any time anybody opens this Bible and tries to explain it before a congregation of waiting people, Lord, it's an awesome responsibility. And Lord, Lord, help us, I pray this morning, Lord, to understand and accept that responsibility and be faithful to it. For we pray and ask these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. Someone has made the statement, that contentment is not getting what you want, but wanting what you've got. Contentment is not getting what you want, but wanting what you've got. And there's a great deal of truth to that. If you ever get a man, Billy Kelly said, if a man, the reason they let you drive him new cars, he said there's something addictive about that new car. He said he don't know exactly what they put in it, but said it's more powerful than cocaine or anything else. He said, if a man ever gets new car smell in his nostrils, that he goes absolutely smack, smack crazy. And said, if he ever smells that new smell, car smell, and they'll ride that thing down the road, it'll be quiet, won't have no rattles, it'll be clean. Get back in his car, and he'll scarcely doubt it'll make it to the house. Good car, running fine, but when he dropped by the new car dealer, look at that one. Once he drove that new one, man, his is a jalopy now, and he's going to convince his wife when he gets home that he'll be doing good to get it to the junkyard. You know, but, uh, but they've offered him, you know, a, a million-dollar trade-in value on it and, and easy monthly payments for the next 30 years, and it's going to be fine. And so it's just the way it is. You, you lose your contentment. That's what I told, I told my wife. I said, I'm better off not going to the store. 
I'm better off not going to places like uh, Northern Tool and, and Harbor Freight and, and, and Lowe's, these places. I'm better off not going because when I get there, I realize all the things I don't have. I was pretty content until I went, and then I see all these things I don't have. And uh, suddenly, I, I'm no longer content. I told you about going up to the, to the, to the Air Adventure in Oshkosh. And the last thing you expect to find up there is Fords at an air show. But not only they have Fords, they had the, the special Rouse Racing Edition Fords. And did you know that them rascals convinced me before I left I needed a new Ford? I mean, they convinced me. I went in there totally something else. But they had me totally convinced I needed a, 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 a Rouse Racing off-road four-wheel drive truck and a matching Mustang. I just, they convinced me of it. And I even tried to figure it out. Well, Doris could have the Mustang, and I could drive the Ford, and they'd match. And it was, I mean, I was, I was trying to justify it, man. But I didn't go looking for a Ford. I didn't go looking for any of that. But, boy, I, they convinced me that I needed one. And that's the way it is so many times. And can I tell you, that's what happens oftentimes with our mates. It's what happens with our jobs. It's what happens with all sorts of things. And if we're not real careful, uh, we'll get in real trouble because of that lack of contentment. Let's lay, first of all, a basic foundation. Verse number six, the Bible says, but godliness. Now, don't underestimate that word, godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can I say it this way? Uh, when you're satisfied with what you have, Satisfaction takes the hassles out of life. It just takes the hassles out of life. If you're satisfied, it just takes the hassles out of life. If you're like me, when you get something on your mind, you're going to purchase something, you're looking and you're, you're studying and you're, you're, you're watching and, boy, it's just you're, you get aggravated because you can't find what you're looking for or things are too expensive or this and this or that or that. I mean, you go through that process... Can I tell you, it's something when you get what you need and get what you want, and you're satisfied with it. I can remember uh, going through a number of phases in my life, and I uh, can remember a number of things that, man, I, just, I was just ill content. I, I just was not content. And boy, it makes for, it makes for, for troublesome times, and, and certainly strain on your marriage and on everything else. But the basic foundation, godliness with contentment, is great gain. Then I want you to look at a basic fact in verse number seven. We're just going to, this is just some basic truths this morning concerning contentment. The Bible says, for we brought nothing in to this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Did you hear about that baby that was born the other day with a diamond ring in its mouth? I didn't either. I ain't never heard of a baby being born with anything. I've never, been, I've never heard of one being born with anything that it brought with it. There's kind of a, kind of a running joke around, around here. Uh, the boys will say this or that or the other and hard work and, you know, and everything. And I say, yeah, make all your babies be born naked. You better watch. <laughs> and that's, pretty, that's a pretty safe bet, Amen. As far as I know, there ain't been one born in a tuxedo yet. I don't reckon there's been a single baby born with a suit of clothes on, has there? Nobody? No, I think not. I don't think there has. Why? 
because we bring nothing into this world. And even though some have tried, we're not going to take anything with us. There are people, I mean, it's some customs, they'll bury somebody's riches with them in some parts of the world. In Mexico, when they have a funeral, they will throw things into the grave before they cover it. And they'll throw, sometimes go buy new boots or new sombreros or, or new stuff, and they'll put it in the grave and cover it up. Uh, you know, how, kind of how like they did the riches of Pharaoh. They'd take all of his riches and bury them in the tomb with him. But the truth of the matter is, he did, they didn't take it with them. The tomb robbers got it. Uh, those stuff that's in that grave, they didn't take it with them. Uh, it decayed and, 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 and just became, went back to the earth. Whatever they put in there, it just decayed. They didn't take it with them. Somebody said they've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Pretty good thought. So there's a man one time, he decided that he wanted to, leave, he wanted to have, take all his money with him. And his instructions was that all of his wealth was to be cashed out, put in cash, and he wanted it packed into the casket with him and be buried with him. And so... Uh, the undertaker, they, they said, would you, know, you do that? And he said, yeah, it's unusual, but we'll do it. So they very carefully packed about a million dollars in that, in, that, uh, in that casket with that man. And uh, so they went to the, the family had left. They're getting ready to close the grave, and, and the undertaker was over there. He backed the hearse back up to the grave, and he was busy working. And, and uh, when they went to leave, the whole back end of that hearse was full of packs of $100 bills. And one of the grave diggers said, uh, you think that's right, taking that man's money? He said, oh, I didn't take it. He said, I wrote a check and put it in there. <laughs> pretty, pretty safe bet he wasn't going to cash the check, reckon? So I wrote him a check. You know, he, I didn't take his money. I wrote him a check. I put the check, laid it on his chest. You know, he, he died with that check on his chest, you know, and laying there and. What are you trying to say, preacher? It's a basic fact that we brought nothing into this world and we can carry it nothing away. I don't know where this came from, but I heard, may heard this saying, gold and godliness rarely dwell together. Now, you probably know of someone who's rich, who's benevolent, and who's been a great blessing to the gospel. And there have been. And I know a couple as well. But you'll have to say that they're ex the exception and not the rule. Chick-fil-A, Christian people. The Cathy's are Christian people. I've met the CEO who's currently the, the head. Spent time with him, talked with him. Great guy. Preached out of a new town. He didn't preach. He wouldn't preach. Matter of fact, I had him mic to get on the stage. I forgot where we were. I think Western Kentucky U. And I had him mic to go on the stage, and he said, I won't be going. And right as he's going on stage, he said, I won't be going behind that pulpit. And I said, why? He said, because I'm not a preacher. I'm not going behind the pulpit. I said, well, sir, where are you going? He said, I'm going to be down on the floor. I grabbed the radio, and I said, Mr. Kathy will not be behind the pulpit. He'll be down on the floor. You've never seen a light crew scramble in all your life because they already had everything programmed. And they didn't know what to do then because everything's pre-programmed to where everybody's going to be. He would not, but what I did to do this, he got his New Testament out of his back pocket that he's going to speak out of, and that thing was as worn 
And it looked like to me he had taken tape and taped the cover on his New Testament. Now here's a man who owns the third largest fast food chain in the United States. And he had a taped up New Testament. And it was curved to the curvature of his pocket. And that's what he spoke out of. And it was well worn. And I thought to myself, that man don't just carry that when he's in church. He's carrying that with him every day. And some biblical principles being closed on Sunday. You know why they're not the lead one? I say lead one. You know why they're not second? Because they closed on. They're third and they're doing in six days what the two number ones are doing in seven. They said he'd be out of business. They said he'd be out of business if he didn't sell hamburgers. I said, well, you can't serve just chicken. You'll be out of business. Said, and being closed on Sunday, said, well, that's not going to happen. You'll have to be open on Sunday. Well, they never have. They never have. And they've given away millions of dollars. So there, there are people that are the exceptions of that. But the difference is he has wealth. Wealth doesn't have him. That fella camps out at Chick-fil-A's. When they open a new one, he will camp in the parking lot in a tent. That's his practice. He spends the night in the parking lot. And the first 100 people through the door of the Chick-fil-A, he gives them free Chick-fil-A for one year for the first 100 people that come in. And he's at every one of them. Every time they open one, he camps. Now here is a multi-multi-millionaire staying in a pup tent. He flies in on a Learjet and has his pup tent packed, and the, the, the owner-operator of the store comes and gets him at the airport off of his Learjet, and he goes and gets in his sleeping bag in a pup tent in a parking lot. That's the truth. But that tells me a lot about him. What are you saying? I'm saying not everybody that's got money. But I want to say it again. How many of the other fast food chains? Name another one. Yeah. Can you name a few in the other industries? You can, but again, they're few and far between. Hobby Lobby, Christian people. But again, name another one that's in that same realm. I realize there was a time that Walmart was. Sam, you know, had a, had a, he had a pretty strong testimony, but that's changed. A whole lot of things have changed. So when you see somebody that has something, and when you see somebody that has money, they're the exception and not the rule when you see godliness and gold dwelling together. It's just about the opposite. Did you understand that the, the, the truth that the Apostle Paul is telling young Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 7, was first spoken by Job. And Job spoke these words in Job chapter number 1 and verse 21. He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. In other words, he said, I came into the world naked, and if I leave the world naked, big deal. Big deal. In other words, we're not going to take anything with us. It's not only a basic foundation, godliness, contentment is great gain, but it's also a basic fact. We didn't come into this world with anything, and we're not going to leave this world with anything, materially speaking. Then I want you to look at the third verse, verse number 8. The scripture gives us a basic formula, verse number 8. And having food and raiment, let us 
be therewith, here's our word again, content. Having food and raiment, let us therewith, let be therewith content. The Lord Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter number 12, verse 15, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. If you get around certain people, that's all their life consists of. I know folks that when you get around them, it's, it's the thing of the week or the month, whatever, you know. And yeah, but oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to get this. Man, I saw this. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have this. And, and uh, boy, I can't wait to get this. And, and that's, that's what they talk about. Or if it's not a thing, it's about going somewhere or doing something. It's all about uh, getting in their hands on something. Uh, but man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. The Bible says in having food, the, this is the only time that the word food in this tense is found in the New Testament. And the word food doesn't mean a biscuit. And it doesn't mean a meal. But the word food, it's, it's, it's very odd. The way that it's, way it's worded and the way that it's the tense of it in, in, the, in the root language, it's an idea of continuation of food. It would be, it would almost like, say, let's say, uh, being fed. You know, being, having your belly full. In other words, that you're, you're, you're not just fed today, you're not just fed tomorrow, but to know that God's going to feed you right on. And we know from the truths found in the book of Matthew, the Lord said that he looks after the sparrows, and if he looks after the sparrows, and you don't see them out here tilling the ground, and you don't see that, and if they can survive, surely, 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 God will provide for his children. And so, food having the ongoing. And then, the, the other word here is the word raiment. It's interesting that once again, it's the only time this is found, this word is found in the, in the, in the root language like this. The word raiment, it has the idea, uh, raiment to us, I guess, would mean something to wear. But really the word raiment would even take in like the fabric of a tent. And so it's a broader word than we give it credit for being. If you, I mean, raiment would be if you had if what you cover, you sleep on. It would be the things you cover up with at night, your, your raiment. It would be the tent that you sleep in, raiment. All of those things would fall uh, almost under the idea of textiles, under the idea of something that's woven or something that's in some way made. In other, way, what the, in other words, what the Lord's saying is, hey, not living out under a tree, but the idea of raiment that you're warm and that you're covered, and that you got something over your head. So I said, well, it's only a tent. Be staying outside. This past week, uh, somebody had shipped uh, our, our brother out there, Brother Trivet, somebody had shipped him some of those disaster blankets. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They come six to a box. And the disaster blankets, they're little wool-thin blankets. They give them out. I think the Red Cross gives them out. Different ones give them out. And I don't know if we had them. I think we did. I asked Brother Blanton. I believe we had a bunch of them. I think we sent them to Doug's uh, to the Western Warehouse. And I think Brother Doug gave Brother Trivet some of them. Well, I personally went into a place this week. And before everybody else got there, me and Brother Trivet, 
we went into a place and we found a family of nine staying in a tent. And so we took them two boxes of those blankets to fold and put down as a pad because they're sleeping on the hard ground. And to fold those blankets and blankets and make some blanket, you know, some, some padding for their, for their bedding. Here's the problem. We like to froze to death out there. I mean, it's cold. We were at 3,500 feet. The geese were flying south. When that went cold, went north wind to blow, it'd freeze you to death. This some mornings, it was, just, it was past, I mean, it was cold. It was real cold. And uh, Brother Ken, he's, he took off this week, and next, he said, as soon as I get back, I'll go ahead and mount a snowplow. I said, for what, what for? He said, our first snow will probably be the 1st of October. They said, we'll have snow early. And he said, I don't know what these people are going to do living outside in a tent. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? But I, I dealt with that this week, living outside in a tent. And they ain't got no place. I'm telling you. The Bible says, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Can I tell you, if you've got, a, if you've got food to eat and you've got a warm place to stay, and you, it, may not, it may not be a, a mansion on a hilltop. But thank God, if you're not, if you're not hurting and, and cold and hungry, there's something to be said for that. Hallelujah. If, and if we, if, we go, if we go a little further with it, that same verse, we talked about that food being an ongoing supply of food, that raiment being a covering, which almost means a roof or a shelter. And then that, that last word is content. That word content has the idea, as a matter of fact, the word content in another place is translated sufficient. If you have enough, enough. Can I tell you, I got a little too much. How many have thrown something out of the refrigerator over the past two weeks because it got old or molded or went out of date? Most of us. Most of us. You know, most of, I mean, we don't around here too much. We just throw it out in the woods. But most people have garbage disposals. That's where you put your leftovers. They run it, grind it up, send it down the sink. Garbage disposals. Because uh, there ain't no place else to throw it or no place to put it because it smells up the trash. But the truth of it is most of us have an excess when it comes to that. Most of us, not all of us, a few of us need to, need to but most of us have got a little extra excess padding to prove it. Amen. We, we, we've got enough, we've got sufficiency, and then a little bit more to go alongside of it, and a little bit more uh, to go with it. I was tickled this week. We did the food, food distribution. We took 37,000 pounds out, and we did the missionaries on Wednesday, and then we did the people of the, of the tribe on Thursday. And I got the noticing they were skipping over the canned goods. And they'd skip them and they'd, go, they'd get everything else, but they wouldn't get those canned goods. So I asked the preacher, I said, we brought cases and cases and cases of canned goods. And they're not taking them. What's up with that? He said, well, I, let me tell you. He said, it looks like too much like commods. I wasn't sure what that meant. And I said, what's that? He said, oh, commodities. He said, on the res, which is short for reservation, that's what they call it. Here on the res, 
White man have given the Indians canned beans for years to live on. And he said, no matter what it is, if it's in a can, it reminds them of commodities. And a lot of times they just look right over it because they can get commodities from the government. They just can't get any of this other stuff. And by the way, you've heard about all these rich Indians? You know how much welfare gives them a month per household? $400. We have people in the church living with, with dirt floors, outdoor plumbing, no plumbing. Got a, got a cold water spigot in the yard that freezes up in the winter and a path to the outhouse. And they get 400 a month. That's what they survive on. That's all they have. And white man killed off the buffalo herd. And so there's a few buffalo, but they're protected. The tribe has access to them, but the Indians don't. And so as a result of it, they have to live off the hand of the white man. And they didn't like those beans and those canned goods because it reminds them of the government commodities. And especially those that had a white label on them because it looks like that USDA stuff that comes in. Can I tell you, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let us therewith uh, be, understand we're sufficient. I don't have to go home and eat what the government hands me, whether I like it or not. I've got sufficient food at the house, amen? And I've got money in my pocket to go get something if I don't like what's at the house. So we've seen the basic foundation in verse 6, godliness with contentment's great gain. The basic fact in verse 7, we brought nothing in, can take nothing out. The basic formula in verse number 8, food and raiment equals contentment, or should in our case. Look at with me in verse number 9. There's a basic folly. Basic folly. The scripture says, verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare. Now, let me just look, look at that verse a minute. Don't look at me, look at the verse. They that will be rich. It almost carries with it the idea of they're going to be rich, they will be rich at any cost. In other words, it's not they'd like to be rich. It's the idea they will be rich. It's going to happen. Hook or crook, they're going to be rich. Can I tell you, that's who this is talking about. They that will be rich fall into temptation and snare. There is a hidden lure by not being content with food and raiment. There's a hidden lure that's found the scripture warns us of for those that will be rich. I can tell you multiple things from college students that their mind is not to serve God. Their mind is not to get an education for the glory of God, but to do something that makes the most money. You know why that our healthcare system is the way it is? It ain't got nothing to do with them wanting to help humanity. It's the fact they want to get rich and have a Porsche and a yacht and a summer home in Aspen. That's what it's about. If you don't believe them, ask them. Out on the reservation, all the doctors that are on the reservation in the government hospital, they're fresh out of college, and they're paying off government loans. They don't care about the Lakota people. They don't care about anything. All they are there is serving their time, almost like they're in a penitentiary. They do the least possible. They get paid big money, and all that money goes. They live in government housing while they're there. All that money goes to their student loans. As soon as they get that student loan paid off, they're out of there. So they got a bunch of novices 
on the reservation providing the health care. And you know who's doing the teaching? Same bunch. The ones that went to teaching for the love of money. So they get a big salary. And the only reason they're there on the reservation is to pay off their student loans. And once they get them paid off, they're out of there. And they can say they work for the government. And they taught on the reservation and da-da-da on, on, their, on their resume and they're out of there. They could care less about the needs of the people. And the thing about it is they come and go so frequently that that's what they believe about the missionaries. And the truth of the matter is so many white men have come out there and stayed a couple of years and left. They have no confidence in anybody that comes is going to stay any length of time. As a matter of fact, Brother Tribbett's been there six years and they're pretty amazed by that. But even now when he comes out, he only comes out two, day, two weeks a year. And when he comes out, it worries them that he won't come back. They're worried he won't come back like the rest of the people that's come and said they were there to help them. And they're worried he won't come back. Can I tell you? They that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. There's a hidden lure. The, Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. That's what Solomon said. They won't neither one of them. And by the way, that first one, got, that first one really got him in trouble, didn't it? His riches really got him in trouble. The Bible talks about that hidden lure. But it also talks about that harmful lust. Look at the rest of the verse, past the comma. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare. Look at the second part of that. And into many foolish and hurtful lust. Foolish and hurtful lust. Another one of those, this, this passage is pretty unique because here it is again. Hurtful, it's the only place that word's found like that. It's the only place in the New Testament. It has the idea of injuring, of marring. It has the idea of damaging. And here's, here's something interesting. When you, when you tell somebody a secret and somebody, somebody tells what you told them not to tell, what did they do? What's, what's a little phrase that we use? They blabbed it all over the place, right? Blab, B-L-A-B. Did you know that's a Greek word? It's the, it's the part of a Greek word, blabberos. And blabberos is the word here for hurtful. It's the idea of slander. Slant, they slander, slanderous things. And that's where we get the, the phrase, oh, they blabbed it all over the place. If somebody blabbed something, was it for good? If somebody blabbed something, was it, was it, did it build somebody up and help somebody? No. If somebody blabs on somebody, somebody just blabs it all over the place, what are they doing? It's scandalous. It's wrong. It's, it's hurtful. Always is. And so it is with this word. Many foolish and hurtful lusts. And the emphasis is, is, of this verse is, is the injury done to, to, to a man's soul by his Determination to become rich. The hidden lure and the harmful lust. Any, any foolish and hurtful lust. Why is it that success is all, often followed by infidelity? Why is it that people who, 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 who make it big oftentimes can't handle it? And the next thing you know, you see them over here in some kind of scandal or some kind of problem. Why is that? Well, the temptation is explained here in the first part of this verse. But then look at the latter part. The Bible says the temptations explained, but also the trap that's exposed. Look what the scripture says, which drown men 
and destruction and perdition. The word destruction has to do in this life, but the word perdition has to do in the next life. Perdition, somebody said, well, well, when you die, you just burn up and you're gone. I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. The word perdition doesn't mean annihilation. The word perdition, it means destruction ongoing. It's the idea, the destruction in this life only lasts a short time. But the destruction that's coming lasts indefinitely. It's indefinite destruction. From now on, it's it's. The Bible, called, the Bible called Judas Iscariot the son of perdition. Now, what does that tell you? He was the son of hell is who he was. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. It's talking about damnation now and damnation in the future. Destruction and damnation. I, I'm talking about irrevocable ruin that's going to last for eternity. So there is... In this truth today, that's the basic foundation, godliness with contentment's great game. The basic fact, nothing in, nothing out. The basic formula, food plus raiment equals contentment. The basic folly, the Bible talks about that temptation and it talks about that trap. But then I want you to look at the basic fallacy. The basic fallacy. Now, folly is something foolish that people run after. But fallacy, my friend, has the idea that it's just not so. In other words, this thing of the pursuit of money, this thing of the pursuit of things. The scripture says in verse number 10, a great truth. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now very quickly, let me insert, money's not evil. But the love of money is. And you wonder why people that are very, very rich want more. And when you ask, the richest men in the world have been asked, how much is enough? And their answer has been just a little more. Just a little more, like drugs, just a little more. How much is enough? Just a little more. Just a little more. I was reading some things this week. Some of the, there's some men that had pledged to give away, to, to invest in humanity, a great portion of their wealth. But the economy's so good, and thing, they've made so much money. I'm talking about liberals. They pledged to give away half of what they had. The problem is they've done made back as much as they give away. Can I tell you, there's some principles of God's Word that you can't deny. And it don't matter who does it. God will still honor it. And there's some fellas that pledged to give away half of their billions and they done made back. Half of their, they've already made it back. As a matter of fact, one fella last week made $1.27 billion in the first three days of the week. He had made, over, made one and a quarter billion in, in the last, in, in three days of last week when I was studying, when I was reading about it. He had already made that much that week. And they were talking about how he's giving away billions. They're now counting his wealth. They're now counting his wealth by the minute. Not by the day, by the minute. It's millions of dollars a minute for every minute that he's alive. It's millions and millions of dollars a minute. The Bible says, but the love of money 
is the root of all evil. There's something said here about what people dream. And then there's something said here about what people discover. Look at the second phrase. Which while some coveted after. The word covet means to have a love for or strong affection for. And by the way, that's the wrong love. While some coveted after. I, I want to share this with you. Anybody ever heard of Joe Gibbs? You know who Joe Gibbs is? What team? Was Joe Gibbs a coach or an owner? Anybody might tell me. I don't know. He was a coach. Who did he coach? Washington Redskins. Now, they went to the Super Bowl, didn't they? I believe that's right. Didn't, didn't they go to the Super Bowl while he was coach? Okay. Well, Joe Gibbs, he's got the Super Bowl ring. and he may, I don't know, he may have went many times. But anyway, he went to the Super Bowl. He went as high as you can go in the NFL. And then he retired. And then he went into NASCAR. And in 2005, I believe it was, they won the national champion of NASCAR. And he, they had, I don't even know what they had. They used to have what? Home Depot and M&Ms and who else? I don't, who follows NASCAR? I don't know. I know they got four cars now. One of his team, one of his mechanics, one of his, actually a machinist, was with me all week this week. He left Joe Gibbs Racing. God called him to preach. He left one of the best jobs in Charlotte with Joe Gibbs Racing, winning team. He's been to New York, been to the National Banquet, been at all, knows every one of the drivers, knows all of them on their first name base, been to the very top of racing. And this boy, God called him to preach, and he stepped away from that thing by faith. Did you know that Joe Gibbs paid him seven months' salary until he could get his support up? And he was back there a while back and went to something they were having. And Joe Gibbs made the statement. He said, I've been as high as you can go in the NFL. And I've been as high as you can go in NASCAR. He said, but this boy right here, what he's doing is more important than anything I've ever done in my lifetime. That's what he said. I don't know past that. I don't know. I can't, I can't testify beyond what he did. That's what he said. That's what he said. Can I tell you, truer words have never been spoken. This week is a celebration of, I say celebration, it's, this, it's the memory, the memory of, of 9-11. Do you remember 9-11? Do you really remember? Do you remember the weekend following 9-11? There were no NFL games. They were all canceled. There wasn't a race that week. It was canceled. Why? Because they're entertainment. Because they're recreation. And it was said by the NFL, what we do is nothing. This is, this is so important, national importance. They suspended all that stuff. There was nothing that weekend. And the churches were packed because everything was closed down, shut down. There was nothing going on like that. Oh, I remember. Remember very well. I was called, I had a call from the Secretary of Agriculture of State of North Carolina on 9-11. And they said, can you come to the fair tonight? I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. And they said, no, listen to us. We're going to shut the fair down and we want you to pray over the PA system. 
I said, I'll be there. Right behind that, I got a call from the mayor. And he said, can you come tonight to, the, to this high school stadium? And I said, well, I'm already, I'm already booked. I, I, I got a call from, the, from Raleigh, and I'm already. He said, don't matter, so we'll wait on you. He said, I want you to pray at the high school stadium. He said, I'll put you last on the docket, and we'll make sure that I'll stall till you get there. I said, I'll be there. And the fair was going, there wasn't nobody there, but the fair was going, the music was playing, the rides were turning. About 20 after 7, they began to shut it down. By 7.30, there wasn't a whisper. It was completely silent. No airplanes taking off and landing at Asheville. It was silent. There were no cars on the road, on the interstate, no traffic noise. It was silent. And I took that microphone, and the fair officials gathered around me, and I prayed, and boy, I prayed, and God came. I prayed for, I don't know how long I prayed. I know, I don't even know. Five, ten minutes, I don't know. But I'm talking about it was ringing over that loud space. You could hear it. You probably hear it at the rest area. It was that loud, ringing over that system. And when I got done, opened my eyes, there's grown men weeping standing around me. They're crying, weeping standing around me. We jumped in the car and took off and come to, come to Bavard, hard as we could run. Walked into the stadium and the whole home side's full. And somebody was up praying. When they saw, when the, when the mayor saw me, he immediately motioned for me. I prayed the closing prayer at that big prayer vigil. And again, God moved. And as that, my voice echoed off those bleachers and echoed off a of cow mountain there and back, a, back up that holler. Man, I mean, just the presence of God. We realized how, for just a few minutes, just a few minutes, it didn't. We got over it. It didn't take us long. But for a few minutes, we had a reality check. In just a, just a few minutes, all those things that we covet were put to the side. We got over it. Didn't take us about a week. We went back to arguing politics. And we went back to all the other stuff. About a week. But man, for a few minutes, God got our attention. I just wonder what it's going to take, our wrong love what it'll take God to get our attention the next time, which some coveted after. The Bible tells us about people discover not only a wrong love, but they discover a wrecked life. They've erred from the faith, have a record of when they were young, they did this, this. I can't tell you how many country music singers started out in church, started out singing gospel music. The day their life is so vile and so wicked, you wouldn't even... If somebody was to tell you they sang in church, you'd laugh. But that's where it started. You know where Elvis Presley started singing at? Church. That's where he started. Dolly Parton and so many others, that's where they started. It's in the house of God. The Bible says they've erred from the faith. Then not only great seduction, but look at great sorrow. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This generation probably don't remember Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was a young, good-looking fella. He was in aviation. He built airplanes. He was a, a pioneer aviator, and he was a multi-billionaire. At the time, he's one of the richest men in this nation. But he got a phobia of germs, and he got a phobia of, of being catching something. 
And he got to where he wouldn't eat none of the food they'd bring him because he was afraid it was contaminated. He wouldn't go out in public because he was afraid he'd catch something. He lived on junk food. And he wouldn't let them change the sheets in his room because he was afraid there'd be germs on them. When he died, he was emaciated. Hadn't seen the light of day in months. And they said the sheets that he, that he died on were slick nasty because he wouldn't let them clean the room. He was the richest man and one time one of the most popular men and one of the richest men that ever that in our nation's history. And he died worse shape than a homeless person out here, a drunk out here in the gutter. And yet he commanded billions of dollars. Could have had anything, anywhere, anyhow. And he died a pauper. Can I tell you? I don't think that, listen, millionaires and billionaires are blowing their brains out. Comedians and actresses and actors and all these things, popularity unimaginable. The number one way to die in Hollywood is by suicide. The stars are dying by suicide. I can, I can give you a list of them. It's a long list of those that have taken their own life. And some of them died by overdoses, but if it's, it's intentional. If you'll look at it, you'll see, there, see them. They intentionally overdosed on prescription medicine or whatever. But nevertheless, it's a suicide, even though it wasn't counted that way. It was listed as an overdose. But I can't tell you how many have died of overdoses. Over and over and over. So the bottom line is simply this. The Bible says godliness, underline the word, godliness with contentment is great gain. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds. You've been listening to the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. You can address all correspondence to 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. Join us again next time for another message.